Welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island, aka Beauty Island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the beauty product that defined their teens, the one they grew up watching their mum or grandma use, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today's episode, my guest is Sarah Humphreys, founder and director of Sydney-based boutique communications agency and PR firm, Sarah Humphreys Agency. She looks after some of the biggest names in beauty, including Lanolips, The Beauty Chef, Australis, Saint-Tropez, Aceology and the Jojoba Company. We talked about moving to London from Canberra at 21 and hustling to get her dream job, going behind the scenes of the PR industry, how to know when the scariest decision is the right one, which I think is advice anyone can take no matter what industry you work in, and the absolutely foolproof fake tan she swears by as a beauty lover and mum of two. She is brilliant, inspiring and so generous with her time and advice. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, rate five stars and write a review. And if you are listening to the podcast, share a screenshot on your Instagram story and tag me at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see it and share it too. If you do enjoy this episode, might I recommend my chat with Sarah's former boss and now client, Lanolips founder Kirsten Carriol. Just scroll through the feed or find the link in the show notes. Now over to Sarah. Enjoy. Sarah, welcome to Beauty Island. Thank you. We are in the SHA offices in Sydney and you've given up your weekends, <laughs> some of your weekends, so I'm very appreciative. My pleasure. Now, most of your clients, and I know that your first job in PR is and was beauty related, but going back to the start, where did your love of beauty come from? Was it always something you were interested in or something you picked up later? I don't think I was consciously interested in it for quite a while, to be honest. I think it was always part of my life. My mum's always really reinforced looking after your skin from a young age. She didn't reinforce wearing makeup, but she was with me when I bought my first lot of makeup. So it's always been a part of her life and hence a part of mine. But I don't think I don't think I consciously thought about working in the beauty industry until I was almost in it. I got a job at Parfum Givenchy in their back office, so placing orders. So I was in London. When the recruiter called me about that job, I was like, that's the kind of company I want to work for. So they're part of LVMH. And then he said it's in the back office in Hersham. And I was like, okay, it's not really the job <laughs> I want, but it's the company I want. And, you know, you want to get into the best company in the with, with the worst job is probably still a foot in the door so it was once I kind of started immersing myself in that that I had a better understanding I think originally I wanted to work in fashion but then working in beauty I quickly saw you you got the best parts of fashion (laughs) without fashion (laughs) that's a really good point now the first product on your list talking about your your mum you say that she did and still does love a pink lipstick So tell me about the memories or the connection behind those. Look, I think it's more the smell. You know how like fragrance is so important in every part of cosmetics and it's the lipstick. So mum used to always wear these bright pink and fuchsia Estee Lauder and Lancome lipsticks and it was 
always like she had a little lipstick case because it was the early 90s and you would have those and she, the way she put it on and just always reapplying it didn't it wasn't like I was sitting there going I want to wear wear that lipstick but it was just it was her signature look you grew up in Canberra how would you kind of describe yourself as a teenager did you know which path you wanted to go down or were you no I think I was always creative I was doing fashion at the time even in high school and I was doing a lot of costume design and creative work like with local theatre companies I knew probably what I didn't want to do more than anything I didn't particularly want to go to university I wanted to study fashion I did internships at magazines coming up from Canberra when I was at school I think I was a bit of a follower to be honest and didn't really want to ruffle any feathers and just did my art did my drama and kept myself to myself and then it was through doing fashion and doing work experience that I was like oh magazines seem really interesting because it's much more you get to be creative but there's a lot more structure which I liked the idea of and then it was through working with magazines that I I sort of saw PR as a the other side yeah well I more saw people taking calls from PRs being like don't they know how lucky they are? I'm running their product. <laughs> so I got to see what PRs did and that's when I realised PR gave me the writing but it really f- allowed me to focus on communication skills as well, which I'd done drama, I'd done debate, I had done journalism at uni in the end for a year. I actually moved to London after a year. I was like, I can't, I'm not interested in this. And I think what's been consistent for me in my whole career and life is if I don't like something, I really just don't. I'm not that person that's good at everything. If I love it, I'm the best at it. But if I don't, I I kind of drop that ball pretty quickly. And that's absolutely a a strength to be able to identify that and not waste time feeling like you need to do it if it's not what you want to do. After you did a year of journalism in Canberra and then decided to head to London, what kind of sparked, apart from not wanting to continue that, what sparked the move to the UK? It was always a dream. That was something that I'd wanted to do since I was about 14 or 13. My godmother had lived in London. I remember her talking about that. And ever since then, I was like, that's what I want to do. And you know, you have those moments in your life where it's like, it's bigger than you. Like you have to do it or you would be letting yourself down and going to London was that for me I got there I didn't feel homesick I felt excited the minute like I felt happy and actually at home the minute I got there and yeah it was just it was it was always going to be that I ended up in London and so as you touched on before you almost hustled to get this PR job at Givenchy was it tell me about I suppose about those early years in London and was working from you know the back room to the PR position as glamorous as it sounds working for somewhere like that no (laughs) short answer PR is never as glamorous as people assume but it's much like journalism and much like most careers right they're never as glamorous as an Instagram image lets us believe when I went to London I had zero experience zero contacts and I was always just happy willing to work and willing to give things a try so when I got a call but from a recruiter about a really stock standard back office job so it's called customer service and so what you do is get all the orders from boots and super drugs and harrods and whatever and you would place those orders for parfum Givenchy. and then my job was also to then make sure everything got there and what got delivered very logistics heavy good experience though once you end up working with founder-led brands and they're talking about back office issues and barcodes and inners and outers and you're like yeah I understand why that's really important and I understand why it's causing you a lot of stress 
Um, so I had that job, which was a great foot in the door because I got to meet the PR and marketing teams and the GMs at the um, yearly conferences. But during that time, I was like, I'm not going to get into the, that office just by working here. So then I emailed a PR in London and was like, I'd read about her in Esprit magazine. And I said, can I do work experience with you? I work full time, so I'm happy to come in and like vacuum your office and put paperwork away. And she couldn't do that. But she said, oh, my friend um, has just started an events company. He could probably use a hand. So she put me in touch with him. I went and met him. He said, yep, great, come and help out at events. So I did a few events with him and really unbeknownst to me because I, I'm from Canberra. I knew no one in London. The PR that I'd reached out to was quite well connected. The guy that I ended up working with was super well connected. And so then when the role came up at Parfum Givenchy for the PR assistant, my CV said I was interning with all these people and they were like, oh, how do you know them? Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> so that actually was what got me the and, – and building up personal relationships, but that really is what sealed the deal. And what do you think the biggest uh, lesson or takeaway that you still keep from that time or from that, that way of getting your foot in the door? You know, I think it's something that I've done consistently in my careers. I don't, don't take no for an answer. If I really believe in something, like if I think – that the person's right for saying no. But if I really believe in something and I know it's right, I won't take no for an answer. And I've done that with stories in the past as well where a journalist was like, I'm not sure and I'll go back with 10 more reasons why I think they should do it. And they're like, okay, well, we'll do that. So yeah, not giving up. And then also now running a business, those two people that helped me in the very beginning of my career, the PR person and the guy who had the events company, they don't remember me at all, but they had a huge role in my life so when I run now that I have the business I always think with our interns what what are they going to think in 10 like how can I help them because in 10 or 20 years that could have made the difference in their career the second product on your list is I think the first beauty product you purchased which is the Australis foundation and makeup palette tell me about your memories with that the foundation was just a normal matte course when you're (laughs) when you're a teenager it's always a matte foundation who wants dewy um matte foundation and then there was a palette and it had like you know your eyeshadows your blush and your lip lips all in one palette which I'd never buy now but that's regardless and I remember being so in love with them that I literally swatched all of them like not properly how you would in a magazine but just with my finger because I didn't want to ruin it but all through my diary to be like this is what this shade is and this is what I was so excited the original beauty blogger there yeah (laughs) I <laughs> didn't know it was swatching at the time. Um, but yeah, I was I was really in love with them. And now like Astralis is a client, so it's hilarious. It's a nice way to it's come full circle. Exactly. Obviously traditional PR sits more in terms of the, the coverage and we talk mm-hmm. about magazines and mm-hmm. things like that. Maybe you could tell me a bit more about how from a client coming you having a client with a product to the process of then yeah. seeing it in the magazine. So how I describe what we do, because like you said, most people have no idea what a PR does. And this this theory works across any kind of PR. But in beauty, a client will come to me with a product and it's my job to understand enough about that product and who is going to buy that, who they want to buy that product and then putting that product in front of those people. So me then identifying who are the right influencers, who are the right podcasts, podcasts who 
if it's a younger product, who's on TikTok that should be getting that? And then who's your traditional media? And going, okay, your dream customer looks at these five magazines, these 50 different influencers, and these people on TikTok. So we need to get your product in those hands consistently so that your customer starts seeing it regularly and falls in love with it. That's how I kind of, that's our job, to make that customer feel like they've just discovered your product and they don't really know how. It's just started appearing everywhere. But actually it's publicists who's worked really hard. There's a, there's a very clear strategy <laughs> behind it. Exactly. There's a plan. And you've got to think, what can you do to get it in front of those titles that's going to make them interesting? So you then have to find the hooks and different hooks for each of those different people. What do you think the biggest misconception about what you do is? That it's easy. That I think people think that our our industry is very much based on relationships. So, I, But I think people assume that those relationships are going out and drinking champagne or having a long boozy lunch or whatever that's very frivolous and and silly nice but that's not how our relationships are built that might be like one percent of how our relationships are built but actually a relationship with a journalist or an influencer or an agent is built by being really good at your job being honest being fast giving them what they need in a timely fashion so your relationships actually built from respect not from some night out that you have so I think that's a big misconception across PR full stop the third product on your list there's a few products in this one Um, (laughs) the products that defined your 20s um so tell me what they are and kind of why they're special to you or what they recall yeah so in my 20s is when I started working in the beauty industry so I think that's when I discovered the scope of the beauty industry and it's when I discovered probably quite a few of those cult products I was in London so I remember buying a lot of MAC eyeshadow and going to the store just off Carnaby Street do you know the one I'm talking about yeah so I used to go there I think every month and there was a couple of great shops on that same back street it was the first place we went to when I got to London because I remember I used to look at it on vogue.co.uk and I'd be like that's Carnaby Street that's an, that's incredible and then I got there I was like I'm actually here and now I shop here all the time um so Mac and I used to buy a lot of like really bright eyeshadows which is not me at all but I remember having a blue and a green but then I'd have still my like pewter and um they had a really beautiful like rose gold that I wore every day um so mac was big for me back then especially the eyeshadows not so much foundation I discovered advanced night repair when I was in my 20s at ironically I was working at Givenchy but this is when I discovered a million other brands and in London you need good skincare because it's so dirty and grimy that you really need to look after your skin. I have so many friends who are obviously now over there in that, and in those first few months when you move there, just your skin reacting oh. reacting to this completely different environment. It's, it's stressful. Very confronting. You're like, what's wrong with me? Like, why is this happening to my face? But you just then appreciate what is actually in the air and what it can be doing to you. And it's the same when you move back to Sydney, though. Your skin changes all over again because it's like we were saying earlier, it's humid and it's just very different environment all over again so advanced night repair then the shiseido eyeliner the liquid liner pen oh that changed my life is it felt tip or is it like an inky one I've it's never the tried inky it. one yeah so it has like when you do a wing because i only do a really subtle wing but it just kind of flicks really gently so you don't have those it's pretty foolproof which for me is very important like I'm not I work in the beauty industry but I'm not that girl that's like contouring and applying layers and layers of eyeshadow that's 
it's just not my jam um so like a good basic eyeshadow and then a winged liner that was my look in london for four and a half years for sure and i think there were a couple of fragrances there as well yes. from that time and a little earlier yes so these were i'm trying to remember what fragrances i wore in london i think because i worked at Givenchy, it was mostly very irresistible with do you remember Liv tyler was the face that was the fragrance we had to wear actually hated you had to wear oh i suppose because if you're promoting it you have to wear it you're the pr for it so you can't not wear (laughs) very irresistible or we launched this fragrance angel demon so angel or demon it was a uniform but earlier to that the fragrances that really it was more my teens and late teens was tommy girl and then izimiyaki ludice are they ones that you would still you, – you have a bottle now or you would still wear or they're no, special I, because of what they held? But yeah, you they're more now. the sentimentality of them. I don't actually wear any perfume. Really? At all. I stopped once I had – like I'm quite sensitive to fragrance anyway. So like the reason why I couldn't handle the Givenchy fragrances is because most of them had patchouli in them and that made me feel really sick. And then I fell pregnant and I was like, oh. Yeah, so I stayed away from fragrance when I was pregnant with Miles and I kind of, he was prem, so then I didn't let anyone wear perfume around him for quite a while and I just sort of stopped wearing it. I think because my my sense of smell was still so sensitive even after pregnancy that I felt quite sick quite easily. So yeah, I don't wear perfume now. Interesting. I know I'm the only person in beauty. Everyone <laughs> loves perfume. No, there, but there is that real. There are so many people who are sensitive to those really strong smell, smells. So I imagine they're very glad for your consideration. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I they can actually be around you. And exactly. Not. I didn't realize it was a thing. But then an author wrote a book all the about the case against fragrance. Yes, yeah, it's all brilliant. about how allergic she was, and she hadn't realized that's what it was. But people have told me that my uh, my sensitivity will get worse, but it, it hasn't. Like, I still love, like, fragrance and shampoo. And, you know, like, some, you know when you walk past someone down the street and they've just washed their hair and you're just like... Just get a whiff, mm, yeah. You smell nice and clean. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> so I still love that kind of fragrance, but nothing too heavy. You're in London. Mm-hmm. You've established yourself in PR. Talk to me about coming back to... Yeah. Well, I suppose, did you go back to Canberra and then Sydney or straight to Sydney? No, straight to Sydney think it would be really bad to go back from London to Canberra wouldn't it? Bit of a difference. Oh, Sydney was hard enough. I remember walking we got back as most people do that early flight like you land at 6am and we went to Double Bay because we were staying with my friends who lived there and I remember just being like what have we done? This is the biggest mistake of our life. There's no one here. It was 6am on a Sunday. <laughs> but even A time still, of existential uh, crisis anyway. I know but I still feel like I remember for the first year walking around Sydney being like, where are all the people? Like, where's the buzz? Where's that sense of aliveness that London has? I mean, you get over it, but I definitely felt, I felt homesick for London. I didn't feel it ever the other way around. How long had you ended up in London for? Four and a half years. Yeah. And formative years. I was 21 when I left Canberra and I was nearly 26 when I came back. So they're, they're pretty important years as well and I was working by the end I was working at Marble Arch so I was right in the heart of the city so there was a lot to leave but the reason why we left was because it was August and I was wearing a puffer jacket and I was like I'm done (laughs) you reach your limit yeah you do especially when you're like I'm 25 and a half and if I don't leave now I'm probably never going to leave and I don't know if that's what I wanted either had you met your husband in the UK no I met him in Canberra in Canberra so we went to together to London, uh, yeah. stayed in London together and came back 
together. That's so lovely that you've experienced that whole, like you said, those really formative years in yeah. in every sense stage of your life together. Together. Yeah. You, I say started, but it's kind of it was almost like a rebrand of Sarah Humphrey's agency in yeah. 2013, and it's a really interesting story because, like you said, you actually ended up buying the business from. Your former boss, yes. now client, and also past Beauty Island guest, yeah. Kirsten, <laughs> Kirsten Carroll of Leno. Yeah. Tell me about taking that leap, because as in any industry, it's very different to be working in yes. and then to have your own business when it's yes. everything is your responsibility. Yes. Naivety is bliss <laughs> when it comes to starting a business, I think. And I think that with most of the founders that I work with, they've said the same thing. Like, if you knew how hard it was, you probably wouldn't do it. But again, a bit like moving to London, I got presented with an opportunity and I thought, if I do not take this, I am going to fail myself as a person. Like, this is a no-brainer. I'm terrified, but I will live to regret it if I don't. You know, some decisions, some things come your way and you're like, I don't know, I won't do it. But this was like, I have to do it. I remember saying to my husband, this is what I've got to do. And we were at a good time in our relationship. I think we'd maybe just got engaged or not long married, like no kids, no costs, like no mortgage, nothing like that. So the worst that would happen in my mind, I'm really bad. I always think about what's the worst thing that could happen right now. And I was like, the worst thing that will happen is this fails and I lose all my money and I go back to Canberra. I'm like, if that's my worst case scenario... I'm pretty okay because that's a lot of people's best case scenarios that they have parents that could let them into their house, home and support them, you know? Yeah. So when the when Kirsten presented the opportunity to me, I, I mean, it was a dream come true because I had always wanted to do my own thing, but I would have never done it because it would have felt disloyal. Like who's going to start an agency against someone who's given them so many great opportunities? Like that's not how I would run a business and it meant that I could start with her support we could send an email out which we did to the entire industry to say this is where we're going this is what Kirsten's going to be doing with Lano I think it was the right time for her as well in her business um, this is what Sarah's going to be doing with the agency and it just felt really right and like we got great support from the press really quickly as well and then almost what seven six or seven years on yeah I had to do my quick maths there seven <laughs> seven in like amazing <laughs> I mean, when you look back and reflect on, because it really is taking a leap yes. to do that. Yes. How do you kind of look on it in all that you've achieved in those seven years? Yes, I don't probably spend enough time doing that. But I think, I don't know how I feel about it. It just, I mean, obviously it feels good, but it feels right. And I think that's how I look at things now. It's like, I don't really look at what the big achievements are or the, the lessons are. I just think it's all part of life and you're going to have ups and downs and when something really exciting happens, you're really grateful for that that moment. And when something really tough happens, you go, cool, I've learned. And I kind of don't celebrate the big wins and I don't beat myself up for the real lows and I just go through. And I think for me, it's more about how am I feeling about the business? Like, am I still proud? Am I still energetic and excited and passionate? Because that's how it's going to grow and thrive. The minute I start feeling like I'm not like that, I think is when I would walk away. Yeah, I don't really reflect on the full seven years. There's so much that's happened in that time. And and it's hard to when it's like it's not like you ever get the time where you've got a full day to just ponder on what you've done. Well, it's remember <laughs> how we did this five and a half years ago. Exactly. No, no, there's not. But there's, I mean, we've got to work with some amazing brands, also just amazing people, like whether it's 
founders or just really smart marketers or ad agencies and creative agencies what's the right word not exposed but we've been privileged to work with some really talented people which is always the dream and I suppose if you had to pick a a single highlight from Mm. those seven years whether it's landing a client or Mm. landing a client in exposure somewhere what's kind of a one that stands out to you I was thinking about this and it's a really tricky one like I think the events that have had people talking the most are the two slip events yeah with Jen Atkin and Holly and my team really led those she did an incredible job she always does an incredible job but I think what was so amazing with those is in both instances we had just over two weeks to turn them around wow so we had a client that trusted us which is super important in such a tight turnaround time and I think it's a credit to the team that everyone whether it was a an account they worked on or not everyone got on board everyone supported each other we were all running around (laughs) like crazy people I remember being at the first one I was 16 weeks pregnant and no one knew I was pregnant and we're all like half the team are going through the I think it was the the Four Seasons Hotel changing all the pillowcases in every guest bedroom to slip pillowcases <laughs> and like there's a team of four doing that there's the rest of us bumping in and then to see people like Chris Jenner commenting on Jen's photos like that's pretty amazing or PRs internationally that I was speaking to going oh you did that event yeah no we saw that event that's amazing and being like oh wow okay and just to emphasize like you said putting all that together in two weeks can you tell us a bit more about what the actual event was because obviously it was not yes it's an overnight stay in a hotel then there's a, a dinner or there's yep so we knew that Jen was coming out and we wanted to do a, a big event with her to celebrate the partnership between Slip and Jen. They've worked together for a number of years. We got a date confirmed. We got a bit of a creative brief of like, had to be inspired by the Beverly Hills Troop movie. So then we workshopped the concept of taking over a penthouse, which ended up being at the Four Seasons. So we also had to find venues that were available within such a short period of time that would fit 50 guests we hired out the penthouse we got all our invitations out we dressed it full of silk pillowcases we had to work with the slip and jen's team in the u.s to get everything approved as well so it wasn't just us signing off on things all of our guests were dressed by jasmine and will in pajamas so we had everyone dressed up for a slumber party and then we also had all of the guests because it was on a saturday night we hosted them for the night at the, the Four Seasons. So it was them, they could bring their husband, they could bring their kids, whoever wanted to come. And they stayed in the room, but we had to go through each room and put decals on all the mirrors and, like I said, slip pillowcases in all the bedrooms and product, like way product from Jen in every room. So I think there was like 45 or 50 guests and they weren't all on the same floor (laughs) (laughs) and they were all arriving at different times so it was staggered yes so we had a team of I think there was three girls doing the pillowcases and two guys doing the decals and they went into every room and one girl timed it and the others had to change the pillows and the guys did the decals and then they ran to the next room it was hilarious The fourth product on your list, again, is a little bit of a collection of products which are about giving you the ultimate confidence boost. And I think these are really important because, as you'll you'll explain a bit more, these really helped when you go through a significant life event, whether it's having a child or or moving somewhere or or anything. Beauty can really be a way to kind of find or rediscover feeling like yourself. 100%. So tell me about those products for you and, and how they helped you in that process. Yeah, so... 
like you said, it's a life event for me. It was having children. It was because you feel very different after you've had a child. Like it does take a moment to rediscover who you are in this new world and what it takes to get you out the door feeling good. Because actually I hated wearing athleisure when I had a baby because I was like, I don't feel like me. I was way more excited to wear it when I was 27 and didn't have kids. Then once I had kids, I was like, you can just wear leggings and go to the park. I'm like, that doesn't feel like me. I want to feel nice and done and for me I had to identify what that looked like because no one has time to dry their hair and put loads of makeup on so Saint-Tropez tan and I use the purity tan because it's clear so you can do it at 10 30 at night get straight in bed it won't stain your sheets so it's practical very very important um bronzer I always found even if I didn't um, have time to do foundation if I just put a bit of bronzer or blush on my cheek and I, I really love the RMS one because it's a pot and it's just easy to dab on your face just having that bit of color really lifted me and then a lip ointment which is obviously Lana lips I actually have about six different like I have every shade but my go-to was always rhubarb because again which I didn't know before I had children when you breastfeed you're really dehydrated and so then your lips lack kind of color so I needed something that would nourish them but also give me like it's weird breastfeeding really drains you I mean literally yeah literally um and then my I I literally tell anyone who's pregnant I'm like just go get a keratin treatment if you like your hair blow-dried and straight go get keratin because you don't have time to blow dry your hair also you don't want to wake the baby up with blow drying your hair but you like to walk out the door feeling done and for me hair not looking a shambles is probably my number one way of feeling like a human so a keratin treatment was a game changer and is your hair naturally quite straight or waves wavy wavy and that frizzy wave like not like nice waves like yours it's like just kinks that has in the humidity that frizziness (laughs) and you just look like not as bad as Monica on Friends when she went on her honeymoon (laughs) but an in-between of that and no one wants to feel like I don't want to sit there going like I need to straighten my fringe to get out the door because I don't have time to straighten my fringe I would leave the straightener on if I did that so this like the treatment takes three hours so you've got to work that out either you have it before you have the baby or just after but you've just got to work it between feeds or whatever whatever you're doing but outside of that then it saves you hours after I feel like particularly in the last few years with the all those kind of little beauty things that you can do that like you said if that is part of making you feel like yourself again in those times like eyelash extensions those kind of treatments all those things that can really make a difference and save you time in the long run yeah and I think we've been made to feel like we're a bit fickle for liking that but could it do what makes you feel happy what it like who cares what it is for some people they could not care at at all about those things and they might just have to go for a run every morning but it's whatever makes you feel like you because then everyone gets the best version of you your kids your husband your your team everybody does so yeah I think I'm like I'm really about learning what it is identifying it quickly and making sure they're in your life as best you can exactly that's such an important attitude and like you said it's exactly whether it is doing it or whether it's making the active decision not to do it correct whatever it is power to you to do that yeah there's no right or wrong answer from talking to you so far and just in previous interviews that I've listened to or read with you one thing that leaps out is 
kind of like you said at the beginning just the pure passion for what you do mm. if there's something that you do you do it completely wholeheartedly mm-hmm. and I imagine particularly something like PR which is very demanding in nature in in time and energy and, and everything mm-hmm. makes that easier because it is something that you love yeah. I guess how do you find and if it's something that you're conscious of at all as mm-hmm. well that balance of 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 work and the life existing around it as well as in how do I manage it or yeah I suppose it I feel like it's different when work is something that you really enjoy for some people that is just part of life it's not really seen in a different way yes um so whether that's conscious of you are conscious of dividing time equally or whether it's just you take it as it is yeah I can't you can't divide time equally I actually heard someone say this on a podcast and it resonated well like there's no such thing as balance it's just what it is it is and each day could be different since having children I am a bit better at having boundaries so you won't see me on email at 1am in the morning which I used to do (laughs) before I had babies or if I am on email at 1am in the morning it was because I was breastfeeding and I was doing stuff whereas now I'm very strict about this is home time this is work time and I've gotten a lot better at being able to not work too much at night sometimes it's fine sometimes I'll work till midnight doing a strategy or something but it's not the norm yeah I guess I don't really find half the things I have to do for work work it's exciting it's it's fun and I have a really incredible group of girls that I work with so I'm not on my own so I've got support and help and we can do things as a team it's no longer just me on my own and particularly a generalization but a lot of people who work in PR tend to be it's a predominantly female mm. environment mm. what do you want your staff and your team to take away from you and what's the thing that you learn from them as well because I feel like it's very as you kind of said that mentor mentee yeah. it's a very two-way street yeah it really is you have got to be true to yourself that's probably the most important thing and for me family is always first so if someone in the team someone's sick in their family or something's happened it's like you go work is not you know what I mean like family is always I think of my team as my family as well so I'm gonna support them how I would support anyone in my family so yeah I would want them to always know that family become is your number one and to be true to yourself and really you've got to love what you do as someone who has a team you can tell when someone hates what they're doing. Their energy changes. There's no point them being, like, no when to leave, yeah. I think is really important. And the other way around, they teach me heaps of different things. I learn, I just even learn new words and I learn what's cool. It's hilarious hearing them discuss journalists that were young when I, so, so my age journalists and how they're perceived because they didn't, you know, if, if a publicist is 23, she doesn't know. the history of half the girls I work with so how they're perceiving those people is fascinating I find it fascinating who they think is cool what's in fashion the stuff they wear I'm like yep would never wear that but it's good to know right like this is what you guys are talking about I didn't know I shouldn't admit this I didn't know what Netflix and chill meant I literally thought it meant (laughs) Netflix and chill and then they were talking about I was like oh my god I'm such an idiot I'm like I'm so sorry (laughs) but it's not my like I didn't grow up in that era where that was the thing and I'm not single so yeah it's it's a different different my husband Netflix and chill we literally Netflix and chill (laughs) the kids are asleep the fifth product on your list is a perfume that has memory or meaning for you tell me tell me what it is and the story behind it so as I said before, I don't really wear 
perfume. So the fragrance that I love and that has a lot of meaning for me is the Mukti Toning Mist in Rose. I spray it all the time. It actually centers me just, I use it as a toner, but it's just more just a refresh and a reset. And I think the reason, like I'd used it for years, but the reason why it's so important to me now in my life is that when I had my second child at the hospital, I used to spray it in our room all the time just to refresh me. But the room just felt calm. He was a good baby, so that also helps. But um, the doctors, the midwives, the nurses were just like, your room is just really chilled and it always smells beautiful. And I'm like, yes, it's (laughs) Mukti. So that I, I love that mist is magnificent. As you've mentioned, you have two sons, mm-hmm. Miles and Thomas. Mm-hmm. Talk me through your ideal weekend or maybe your ideal Sunday because I feel like that's the day that we really like. Chill. In an ideal world, we would chill and do the things that we like to do. Yes. Yeah, so we pretty much had our perfect Sunday last weekend. And because obviously with children, even the best <laughs> laid plans are flawed. But for me, getting to the park, getting – reasonably active I think is how I'd describe our lifestyle so we got to the park really early like 7 30 because Thomas is often up between quarter to five and 5 30 so we're up and at him early so 7 30 to us is like we've been hanging around the house (laughs) for a couple of hours so we'll get to the park have a run I'll have a coffee it's usually my husband and I will often come back I'll Miles and I will bake something whether it's muffins or cookies for the week we love cooking together usually involves heading to the beach even on a really rainy or miserable day we will drag like last weekend we dragged the kids to Bronte and they did we just sat under the rocks and my husband and I just jumped into the pool because like just that feeling of the ocean for me that is bad night's sleep tough day at work want to celebrate something like the getting into the water is my answer to everything and then we'll usually have a family dinner together I mean Tom's really young so he'll just throw (laughs) food but there's a lot of it's a lot of family time like playing cooking swimming as we've kind of touched on PR has undergone a huge shift Mm. constantly but particularly over the last few years the changing nature of influences just the I don't think there's a can't think of an adjective big enough to describe the impact that social media has had on things what do you think is the the biggest change or shift that you've seen and is it in your opinion is it a good thing or is it a A bad thing different thing bad thing I don't know if you could define any of them as good or bad they just are like it's just social Instagram for sure had one of the girls who used to work here went on maternity leave and had two children in that time Instagram started like that's really bad luck isn't it it's a huge platform and it's just so ingrained in our behavior now I think Instagram and influencers definitely made a huge impact. I think what I'm seeing now quite interestingly is though that clients more want print. They want influencers for sure. There's no denying that, but they are still seeing a huge impact or website traffic or sales from a Sunday Life or a Stella or Body and Soul Vogue. You know, those are, those still actually have a really big role in these brands minds also what's really grown is the traffic and the credibility of all our online sites so back when I started in PR none of the magazines had websites they were, if they were really an afterthought whereas now they're not an afterthought they're mamma mia their business is in their own right and they drive sales and they can show it so while I know that there's a lot of talk about journalism being a dying kind of breed and that I, there's definitely an argument for that, 
I think if those journalists are working on online sites, there's still a really important role. And I think actually now the way the world is, those journalists are becoming women of incredible influence rather than the influencers who can post great photos and bikini shots or whatever. These are people who are coming from a knowledgeable background but really growing their profile. So if you look like an Ava Chen in the US is a great example of she's I guess to some people younger generations they would assume she is an influencer first and foremost but she's a journalist first and foremost she's incredibly smart but she's an influencer or a woman of influence is what I like to call those kind of people yeah um locally I'd say like a Lee Campbell Eleanor Pendleton they are foundation in journalism so there's a level of credibility and respect and an understanding of how the system works which I think some of the younger influencers probably don't get um, but they have their own reach, those girls, and their own platforms. They're incredibly successful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point as well, that with social media, largely Instagram, a lot of the people who were behind-the-scenes stylists, journalists, mm-hmm. even people working in PR, then mm-hmm. become kind of figures and influencers yeah. in their own right, which is yep. really interesting. Yep, and I think that's great because I think they're taking all of those skills that used to get hidden behind a masthead and owning it on their own I think that's really it's smart and it's refreshing because it means you can play in that influencer space but come at it from a different lens. The sixth product on your list Mm -hmm. is the one that you always repurchase which is a product from SkinCeuticals or is there there two? There's two. SkinCeuticals and Medicaid. Medicaid. So um, yes CE Ferulic we worked with SkinCeuticals a little bit couple of years ago and then Kate Morris from Adore Beauty sings the praises of skin SkinCeuticals and if anyone has seen her skin I was like I just want what she's having yeah so and then I have another client called Dr Michelle Squires from a, a brand called a business called Curate where she advises people on skincare for their products she's not brand aligned it's just skincare and products that have research papers and science that back them that she's like no this isn't marketing this is an amazing product CE Ferulic is her like everyone should use it vitamin C very important so I started using that once I stopped breastfeeding and I could start getting a bit more into my active ingredients I started using SkinCeuticals and because I'm of a certain age I'm like I really need to start using my retinol so SkinCeuticals and Medicaid have been my kind of and alpha H um, hyaluronic acid those three I think I keep buying that and RMS, actually, I buy that a lot too. That's always the biggest endorsement, particularly if you're working in beauty when you do have access to so many products, the ones that continually get replaced. It's true, all the ones you actually pay for. Yeah. It's true though. And it's the same with journalists. The Well, the number that buy the Beauty Chef Glow because they're like, I can't be without it. Yeah, like there's no way. You're not going to be able to replenish me <laughs> credibly in a PR capacity. I just need to buy it. So it's, a, it's like that. And I suppose, as we just said, you have and access to a lot of beauty products in the industry and from your clients when it comes to your own beauty collection at home and Mm -hmm. that can be both makeup and skincare Mm -hmm. are you uh, a minimalist or do you have quite a large collection minimal yeah I have so few makeup makeup and skincare I really edit I think because I get to try a lot so I know what I like and I don't like but when you see like on social media you see all those shelfies and it's just shelves and shelves of product I'm like what are people doing with all of that like I have two body products the hyaluronic acid the 
CE Ferulic and retinol for serums, a moisturiser from Hopland Cotton that she custom makes me, which is unbelievable. That's pretty much it for skincare. Like I just don't overdo it at all. And same with makeup, I have my foolproof foundation. So either RMS on a weekend or Westman Atelier for Monday to Friday. And then mascara, like mascara, lip gloss, cheek tint. That's pretty much it. I might roll out of eye palette if I'm going out on a weekend. <laughs> Maybe. That's Treat when yourself. you know you're important. If I'm putting on eyeshadow, <laughs> that's an important date. When do you... F- I find this question really interesting. I feel like a, traditionally in a lot of like magazine profiles, people always get asked, you know, when do you feel most beautiful? Oh, or yeah. When do you feel most you? But I think it is important, not important. I find it always interesting because there is kind of a little, almost a little bit of stigma attached if you say when I'm fully made up as opposed yeah. to when I've just rolled out of bed when yes. I'm and like but like we've said before no wrong answers no but I just always think it's interesting so I suppose when and it might not be a look it might be a feeling of or a place when you're in but when yeah. do you feel like you're most when do I feel like I'm most me I think when I'm there's a couple of different answers like when I've just gone for a swim like that moment you jump in and you're just like I love that feeling of cold water and you just, like I said before, it's just resetting and you're like, oh, okay, I'm back. When I'm cooking with Miles, I feel really in my element and in my zone. But also when I like Monday morning, having my coffee, I've got a nice dress on. I usually don't wear heels, but like a, a nice shoe and my red lip and just, you know, the kids are at school, I'm off, I'm doing my thing. That's when I feel really me, like walking into the office at the start of a day. And I love that all those things are very representative of how many different almost faces that we have or, or parts of ourselves because yeah. we're not all just you're not Sarah always the businesswoman yeah. or yeah or Sarah whatever. the mum. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Someone actually said to me like how do you define yourself? And I was like, well, I don't think anyone can define themselves so themselves with one thing. Like don't you think that's underestimating or underselling yourself? Like like yes, I'm a mum. But that's not who I am. That's one of the roles that I play in my life and so happily. And yes, I own a business, but that's not all I am. Because if I'm only my work, that's really sad and hard. Like you are a multitude of things that make you. And that's how I kind of approach life. We're getting to the final two products on your list. Mm -hmm. The seventh one is the one that you would trust with your life. And I love this because these are always like, (laughs) they're not necessarily the, the glamorous products that we've talked about, but the ones that do the job that they need to do <laughs> tell me what, what yours is she's so unsexy <laughs> so i discovered margaret is it dabs or dob margaret dabs is a foot bile i can't even like, <laughs> what's it when you you specialize in looking after feet um uh, podiat- no yeah, podiatrist yeah. yeah she is a podiatrist in london very well respected and i was doing research because i love not wearing shoes like on a weekend I hate wearing shoes at home full stop but if I'm at the beach or if I'm at a park I just like I don't love shoes but also then you have disgusting feet (laughs) I don't want that so I was really researching the best foot files how to look after my feet so I found hers so it's available on net-a-porte so I stocked up and I use that and I use Lano Gold Ointment and works a treat it's the best. I'm also loving, given how lovely Nettaporte's packaging is, just ordering a footfall, having this beautiful <laughs> box and ribbon. 
it I mean, makes that, it feel a little the, more glamorous than a experience of beauty isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly but actually even her branding everything about it it is very chic. lovely yeah yeah <laughs> you can tell she's based in london in a nice part <laughs> in pr and advertising the idea of brands really needing a purpose mm-hmm. has become a huge factor yep. in, in in branding businesses from the start and also just just existing in general. There's mm-hmm. the expectation from the consumer that it's more more than just products, yep. which which is is a good thing, yeah. obviously. And I think we've seen that even more so in the last few months, particularly in Australia with the awful bushfires mm-hmm. that have been going on. And there's been a lot of conversations about people and, and businesses approach to this I feel like Mm. particularly in the last month or so Mm. this idea of the power going over to the consumer Mm -hmm. in demanding that there's an expectation of people take action I would love your thoughts on how obviously working with so many brands in that PR phase Mm. how brands your thoughts on how brands navigate this time because I think this is just an example of what will only increase yeah and I think as the 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 generations that are 15 now, it'll be a non-negotiable for them for when they buy a product. I think if brands are going to do something like that, it has to be genuine. It can't be a marketing box that they're just ticking. So if they're going to support a charity or a, um, an industry, it needs to feel not cookie cutter. And I think every brand then is going to do that differently. I also feel like... If you're starting a brand, it's very different because you can really hone that in now. If you have an established brand and you're looking to bring that in, you kind of need to regroup on what your brand values are. And I think we're quite lucky with who we work with because their values are very strong. So making decisions like who do we partner with during the bushfire crisis or what are we going to do were quite easy decisions for them to make. Yeah, I think... We really support it, but what, as an agency, we really want our clients to do something that's genuine and also that doesn't feel like, and I've seen this happen, where brands donate $10,000 to a charity and then $200,000 marketing it. I'm really like, and the general public might not even know that happens, but how, as a PR, can I support that? It's disingenuine, doesn't really help anyone, and helping someone as a marketing ploy or a tactic or a PR tactic I just don't think that business will do very well. <laughs> I, I might. I think that's a really naive mindset of mine as well. No, but I, um, I think it's true. I th- and I think, as you said, particularly consumers are savvy. They know when something is is genuine or not. Yeah. But I suppose one thing, particularly with using the bushfires and as mm. ex- as an example, for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, I felt like people were addressing things from the heart as personally yeah. it felt like kind of business went out the window this was just a totally which was something really nice to yeah see. I think with well with all of our businesses that we work with whether we do their social or not most of them stopped all brand content full stop especially just after new year when Bateman's Bay had and the south coast had had that really awful time and they were it was, it was I think it was like the 6th or 7th of January and we all knew it was going to be a really bad day and all brands just ceased commenting, engaging and acted really quickly. And it was so, for example, Kirsten from Lano, she was like, I really were a brand that's that's founded in, on Australian farming. My grandparents went through Ash Wednesday, so I'm going to help buy a bale, which isn't probably what you would put as a sexy, well-known charity. And I think that's what I find really interesting. The brands that have also gone 
what's true to us and it might not be the one the the charity that everybody's heard of but it's the charity that we really believe in is going to help who we want to help and who have helped us in our career whereas like Carla from the beauty chef quickly made sure that um, all profits from that I think that whole weekend went to the RFS and to wires like it wasn't it was such a like I think countrywide everyone just went we can't pretend this isn't happening and it's not business as usual because this isn't Australia as usual so it was quite nice to see and the brands that didn't and a lot of them are global but still I think people went "Mm, it's not okay like we need to help and it's really important the final product on your list is your holy grail product and we have two products tied for it both both exceptional products so tell me what they are and why they they make the cut of being your holy grails there's absolutely zero surprise I think in this answer (laughs) at all so Lano 101 fruities any flavor I I mean I love like I said I have every Lano product in every drawer but the fruities I find just especially when I'm in Canberra and it's really dry they're extra nourishing I like the flavor my kids love them so and they're great on my cuticles too so I Lano 101 fruities any flavor is top of the list and sitting right next to it is the beauty chef glow and that product I was buying before I started working with Carla and the impact it has on your skin. If you're super healthy, you might not see it straight away, but you will see it. But if you're eating a normal diet and you have it, the impact is almost immediate on the how radiant your skin looks. So I, if I was on a desert island, those two would be there with me for sure. And speaking of that, yes, as I send you to Beauty Island, Desert Island, yes, and I've made you talk about eight and a few more products but if you had to pick just one of them to take with you to the island I don't know if I could take just one I actually don't think it would be Lano Glow and um, Mukti (laughs) (laughs) the mist the rose mist the beauty glow powder and a 101 and if we took away practicality's sake if it was just for the sentimentality of a product would that change it or make it easier at all (laughs) <laughs> it was just for sentimentality it would be the rose mist yeah because I find for me fragrance takes you everywhere but if I was on a desert island I'd be like where's my <laughs> and on day three I'd be like I need glow I look terrible where's the glow and because you don't need Santa because you're probably getting a tan yeah so you know they would be my island products for sure and as you know Lano is the most requested featured in the eight and the the one product that goes to the <laughs> island. So, you know, you might actually find that there are many tubes on the island totally. there already for you. <laughs> if all the girls that you've interviewed are there and I'm friends with them, I just borrow their tube. So it would be okay. Problem solved. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. It has been an absolute delight talking to you today. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the brilliant Sarah Humphreys. You can find where to follow her, plus all the products she spoke about in today's episodes, in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account, Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. You can visit our website, beautyislandpodcast.com, or send me an email, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a regular beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty, where you'll get reviews, recommendations, and tips and tricks of my beauty column delivered straight to your inbox. The link of where you can sign up, sign up even, is also in the show notes. 
Thank you so much. And until next time, bye-bye.